You know, sometimes it's interesting that people really don't understand a person until they get martyred. <laughs> oh, that's what he was talking about. And I thank God for the ministry that he is a steward of. I thank God for Sister Kim. I thank God for Elder Cox. I thank God for the music ministers. I thank God for you. I've been doing some reading and research. In fact, and I'm certain that your pastor mentioned it at some time or another, Dr. Michelle Alexander, who is at the Ohio State University. And she writes a book called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in an Age of Colorblindness. It was very interesting as I read this book to find some things that was, was new to me. She said that in the last 30 years, the United States penal population has exploded from 300,000 to over 2 million, with drug convictions accounting for the majority of the increase. But, but, but this is what really got me. I was very astonished to find out, and maybe you will be also, that she said that in the mid-1970s, the most well-respected criminologists were predicting that the prison system would soon fade away and that prison did not deter crime significantly, many experts had concluded, so much so that the National Advisory Commission on criminal justice standards and goals issued a recommendation in 1973 that, and I quote, no new institutions for adults should be built and existing institutions for juveniles should be closed. And this recommendation was based on their Findings that, quote, the prison and reformatory and jails have achieved a shocking record of failure. But these recommendations back in the 70s seem to, to be preposterous in the light of understanding the two largest for-profit prisons, Corrections Corporation of America and GEO, who have raked in annually $3.3 billion in private prisons. Just these two, even though there are 130 private prisons in the United States. And over his career, Mark Rubio, huh, you know him, has received more than $40,000 in campaign donations from GEO, making him the Senate's top career recipient in contributions from this company. Now get this. Nearly two-thirds of private prisons 
Their contracts mandate that state and local governments maintain an occupancy rate of 90%. 90% or the taxpayers will be required to pay for empty beds. In Arizona, three prisons are operating off of 100% occupancy guarantee. And this privatization has created uh, what is known, this atmosphere, what is known as kids for cash. This was the scandal of these two judges in Pennsylvania who had received $2.6 million in kickbacks for for for-profit juvenile facilities to lock our young men and women up. Juveniles. In just August of 2015, the judge received 28 years in prison. Prisons take many forms. And therefore, my primary interest and emphasis today is not on the unfortunate multitudes who languish behind iron bars, but on unsuspecting believers who are imprisoned behind virtual bars. Those of us who are doing life sentences. I was in... in, 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 uh, Commanded to a life sentence until I received liberation. I was incarcerated and many believers are incarcerated behind what I call thinking and theological prisons. Where we come to church every week, but we still are not free. Still institutionalized behind faulty thinking and theology that inhibits us and prohibits us from having true freedom in Christ. Sojourner Truth, that courageous black woman Moses said something very profound. She said, I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if they only knew they were slaves. In August of 2015, the collective consciousness of America was riveted to the news and special programs addressing the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. I remember when Spike Lee, after Katrina, brought forth his documentary. He went down to New Orleans and he went especially into the Ninth Ward where there are those credible people who said that the levees were detonated so that they could run the water away from the affluent areas and into poor communities. Spike Lee's documentary was entitled, When the Levees Broke, A Requiem in Four Acts. His soundtrack for that documentary was produced by the jazz trumpeter Terrence Blanchard, who is from New Orleans, and his mother lives in New Orleans, and she lost her home in Hurricane Katrina. But this is one of my favorite albums, because when you read this, this album, it is, uh, when you listen to it, it is a stark, 
funeral dirge type album that tries to encapsulate the, the horrific act of Hurricane Katrina. Five years later, Spike went back to New Orleans to do a sequel, and it was entitled, well, 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 first Terrence Blanchard's album was entitled, A Tale of God's Will. But then when Spike went back five years later for his sequel, he entitled the documentary, If God is Willing and the Creek Don't Rise. Buckle up. The will of God provokes a conundrum of thoughts and feelings from silent passive resignation to discombobulating questions and vehement outcries and anger to God. Is there a word from the Lord today concerning his will? Yes, there is a word from the Lord. There was a woman who inquired of the Lord, Lord, when will you cease to strown our pathway with obstacles? And the Lord said to her, murmur not, for this is how I treat my friends. And she replied, oh, Lord God, that's why you have so few. This woman's sincere and critical response is not foreign to many of us if we are courageous enough to unlock the, the, the pain-filled, foul memory cabinets of our mind where in those files lies the archives of physical and mental and sexual and emotional abuse. There are records in those files of abandonment and neglect and troubling revelations of rape and molestation. There are papers of painstaking loneliness and blatant disrespect and a disturbing dossier of disappointment and discouragement and depression. All filed under the ironic name, the will of God. God has fewer friends than you think. You see, most of us are not letting on, but, 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 but many of us have some serious issues concerning God's will, especially for our lives and what has happened in our lives. And some of us are not as close to God as some of us want us to think they are. The truth is that many folk, believers, are estranged from God. Faking like some couples, married couples who come to church, uh, posing a, a loving persona, but when they go home, they are on the brink of a devastating divorce. For others of us, our shouts of praise and raised hands divert people away from what we really think about God and how we really feel about his so-called will for our lives. The simple fact is that many of us have never been taught correctly about the will of God. We are in prison and incarcerated to faulty theology and thinking. Not understanding the will of God can be a very disquieting, tormenting experience that races the mind here and there and hangs it in suspense. It extinguishes our joy in the Lord. It dims our legitimate hopes. It breaks our sleep and hinders our faith. And for some of us, it has silenced our prayers and praise. I struggled with it. 
I will never forget the day I sat in the physician's office as he looked my wife in the eyes and said, Mrs. Vanderhorst, you have breast cancer. I was devastated as I watched one single tear trickle down my wife's ebony face. And I made up my mind right there, and I'm serious right here. I said, if God gave my wife breast cancer, I will not serve him anymore. I refuse to serve a cosmic joker. Is breast cancer the will of God? Is always a bridesmaid, never a bride, the will of God? Is the, oh my God, is the protracted battle that some of us, some of you are having with mental and emotional challenges the will of God? Does God's will include people who are, are devastated by AIDS? Or the thousands upon thousands whose lives were displaced in Hurricane Katrina? Is foreclosure on your home the will of God? Does God's will include losing your job while rich, filthy, fat cats cop golden parachutes with stunning portfolios and stock options? Is that the will of God while some of us struggle? I was reading about Jack Welsh who was the former CEO of General Electric. And I estimated on my calculator that it would take me 1,612 years to make what Jack Welsh made in one year. Is that financial disparity the will of God? My wife's diagnosis of breast cancer in 1997 became my tipping point to acquire a solid, scriptural, balanced understanding of the will of God. You see, there are some folk that say, whatever happens is the will of God. God allows or permits these things. Well, if God allows or permits death, and pain and suffering and depression and disappointment, then the devil can go on vacation. God got it. My wife's diagnosis led me to re-examine and deconstruct the traditional religious views about the will of God that I heard Growing up in church. You see, back in the day, they used to call it trials and tribulations. And I was told that we need trials and tribulations. We need this stuff to perfect our character. Really? So it's getting hit by a drunk driver and permanently paralyzed meant to perfect my character? Really? I was told that no matter what happens, it is God who permits or allows it. Really? No matter how sadistic, like rape or pedophilia, or brutal like castration, or inhumane like slavery, if it wasn't his will, they say, God would not have let it happen. 
Really? The subliminal and vitriolic voices that, that, that bring a panoply of traditional religious views were confusing and they are still confusing to this very day. But at the same time, Matthew 6 and verse 10 says this, Thy will be done on what? Earth as it is where? In heaven. There is no chaos in heaven. The text says to me that God has established a will in heaven that he wants manifested in our lives on earth. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Another version says, to give you a hope and a future. Lamentations 3 and verse 33 says, He does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Therefore, God has, please understand, God has a planned and perfect will for us. Individually, collectively, as a family. His will is not fate or happenstance or some arbitrary traumatic encounters that can cause us to curse the day we were born like Job did. God's will is intentional, directed, predetermined, which is only for our best good and central to our health and well-being in the human experience. Therefore, I have concluded this, that if we are going to have a cogent understanding of the will of God, God must first be exonerated. Number one, we cannot reckon God's will complicit with sin, suffering, pain, or death. Number two, we must disassociate from the phrase, the will of God, all that is evil, unpleasant, disappointing, frustrating, and deadly. Number three, we must break with the idea that everything that happens to us is the will of God in the sense of his intention. I'm coming back to that one. And lastly, we must comprehend the gravity, the enormity, the significance, the magnitude, and the consequences of the power of choice initiated by our own human free will. I want to direct you in the scriptures to a touching narrative, pun intended, in Luke 5. Luke, the fifth chapter. And as you're turning, I'll, I'll move forward. We encounter a man who as a baby, when he was born, his parents were ecstatic that it was a male child. No disrespect to women, but they... They had heard the prophecy of the coming Messiah and the anticipation that this male child or any male child could possibly be the Messiah was the, was the height around having a man, a male. He was the joy of their life. 
But life, oh my God, life has a way of changing courses without notice. Chippy the parakeet, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One moment he was comfortably perched in his cage singing. And then the next moment he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. It all began when Chippy's owner was cleaning out his bird cage with a vacuum hose. And then the phone rang, and as she went to reach and pick up the phone, there was a swooping sound, and Chippy was sucked up into the vacuum cleaner. She dropped the phone and tore open the vacuum cleaner, and there was Chippy covered with dirt and gasping for air. So she took Chippy, and she raced to the bathroom, and she put him under the faucet, and she drenched Chippy with a burst of cold water. Realizing that Chippy was now wet and cold and shivering, she did what many of you would do. She pulled out her hair dryer and pelted Chippy with hot air. A few days later, the person who had called called back to see how Chippy was doing. Chippy's owner said, he doesn't sing anymore. He just sits and stares. But many of us can identify with that because life can change course without notice and and it can suck us up into a dark cavern of disappointments and douse us with the cold reality of despair and depression and pelt us with the hot air of unfulfilled desires. It is enough to steal a song from the stoutest heart. Life has a way of changing Courses without notice. In Luke 5, we see a loathsome leper. We are not told how he contracted leprosy. But it is quite evident that he came in contact and contracted the disease knowingly or unknowingly. Each waking day, I need you to see him in your sanctified imagination. Each waking day is a challenge for him. How would he eat? What would he eat? Would someone be so kind enough or wasteful enough to drop a few scraps in his direction? Day after day, he etched out his miserable physical existence, but there was also his spiritual burden. He felt shut out by God, ignored, shut out from wholesome relationships, shut out from spiritual fellowship, all because of his circumstances. Was that the will of God? Is leprosy the will of God? There were those who believed it was because their theology was If he contracted it, then it must be God's permission or allowance. He must have done something. He must have gotten too close. The imprisonment of their thinking and theology said that God permitted or allowed it. 
But when we look at verse 12, we notice this, Luke 5 and verse 12. While Yahshua Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was full of leprosy. Let's start right there. You see, Luke was a physician. And Luke was giving his prognosis, his diagnosis, so much so when he said this man was full of leprosy, this man was in the last stages of leprosy. Maybe his fingers were gone, maybe his toes were gone, or a foot was gone that had dropped off because of this dreadful, horrific malady. But Luke said he was full of leprosy. He was on his way out. But can you see him throw a robe over his head as he bends and he ducks and dodges as he makes his way through the crowd? Every so often just peeking up to see where the Savior is. He didn't want to get noticed or he would have been shooed away by hostiles, yells and jagged rocks. But now we find him in the presence of the Lord. What a place to end up. No matter what you have done, where you have gone, what has happened to you, you can end up in the presence of the Lord. John 6, 37, he says, whoever comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I can see people spotting him now, smelling him now. But he's in the presence of the Lord. I can see him kneeling, maybe even falling on his face. You see, he didn't doubt whether the Lord could heal him. He was wondering if he would heal him. Just like some of you who have been in that situation. You have gone through stuff. You don't have any doubt that he can do it. You're wondering, and you've been wondering. Some of you even last night as you wet your pillow in the midnight hour. Will he do it? Does Jesus care? I'm serious about this thing. I was in a certain city doing a, a presentation, a series called Healing Past Painful Memories. I started to deal with forgiveness. But I saw some of the people in the audience getting flooded. So I said, listen, let's, 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 let's stop. Let's just take a break. A sister came up to me during the break. She said, listen here. I don't know where you're going with this forgiveness, but you don't know my story. She said, I sent my daughter to college as a freshman. She started dating this young man. They got into their first argument, and he took a double-barrel shotgun and blew my daughter's head off her neck. How am I going to forgive that? I said, Lord, give me a word, give me a word, give me a word. I said, listen, sis, I cannot fathom your pain. I cannot even, I have $2, and I can't conceive 
how broken you are. I don't even understand that kind of pain. But I just need you to consider this. There was a lady who cried out in her vehement anger. Where was God when my son got mangled in that vicious car accident? And the Holy Spirit whispered back the same place he was when his son was mangled on a cross. I said, if anybody knows how you feel, he does take all the time you need. I don't know your story, but I know somebody in here has been struggling in your spirit. You shack and cohabitate with depression. It's your best friend now. You know he has the power. But will he do it? Will he deliver you? Verse 12 of Luke 5. When he saw Yahshua, Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and begged, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Yahshua, Jesus, reached out his hand and touched him and said, I will. That's the name of my sermon. I will. For those who have been struggling with any doubts about God's will concerning your life, your situation, your circumstances, your issue, your drama, my prayer today is that these two words will find a place in your spirit. I will. I will. I pray that these two words will settle it for you from this day forward. I will. Let me teach. The will of God is infinitely wise and righteous. Nothing that is unholy can consist with his divine will. To have his will fulfilled on earth is to have infinite goodness and wisdom and righteousness manifested in our lives. It is God's will coming into complete existence, not merely God's will realized in this action or that action, but God's will as a whole being evident and fulfilled in our lives. I've come to understand that God's will is not one unbending, linear, rigid resolve that makes no concessions. But God's will operates in tandem in three spheres. God's intentional will, God's circumstantial will, and God's ultimate will. I posit to you that nothing that you will ever go through that you will ever experience, that will happen to you, can ever invalidate, cancel out those two words. I will. Salvation consists of two wills. God's will 
and our human free will. And those two wills must be co-joined to be one will. But here is where Adam and Eve misunderstood the magnitude and the consequences of their choice when they ate the forbidden fruit. The pertinent question is for Adam and Eve, not why did it happen, but how did it happen? Let's first consider God's intentional will, and I'm going to move along quickly now. Adam and Eve had the privilege of living in the perfect will of God. Can you imagine living in an environment where there is never a cold, you never have a headache, you never have cramps? (laughs) The intentional will of God. But the theologian watchman, he said something very critical. I'm quoting. He said, Adam was created perfect. That is without imperfections. Because God created him. But he was not yet perfected. He need a finishing touch. God had not yet done all that he intended to do in Adam. There was more in view, but it was yet in abeyance. God's fulfillment of his purpose in creating man could be accomplished only by Adam's cooperation, his willingness to trust and obey God. Therefore, the option of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve recognized that they had a choice, either with the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve turned away from the tree of life and to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they result, it resulted in them becoming free in the sense of developing themselves apart from God and his will. Their spirit, which was once connected to God's spirit, was now broken. Consequently, The soul took ascendancy to control the life. You see, Adam's choice involved complicity with Satan. And he forfeited, here it is, he forfeited the final element. That is his free human will in total and unquestioning alignment with God's divine and perfect will. Adam's choice put him beyond the reach of attaining God's appointed purpose. And that is this, the full possession of the very life of God. Everything that Adam and Eve had was now interrupted. You see, Adam and Eve in the garden had everything They needed, but they wanted more. And when they got what they wanted, they lost what they had. Now a disturbing reality broke into the earth realm that was just as awesome as sin itself. It was now a hostile will, 
a renegade will now presented itself in the earth realm. This played right into the hand of Satan. Now, it is a mistake to think that our human will is spiritual. Yeah, you got to, to cogitate on that. Our human will is not spiritual. Our human free will does not automatically cooperate with God's will. In fact, at birth, it recoils from the will of God. It's hostile to the will of God. And Satan's success is not so much in getting us to sin outright, but simply getting us to act from ourselves, apart from God's will. But how would a rejected creator respond to the treasonous act as the serpent's venom coursed through their veins and ultimately through ours? Yahweh responded in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the serpent. I will bust his head and he will bruise my heel. I tried to use my sanctified imagination to understand this, this, this happening, this, 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 this incarnation, which is the great emptying. Can you see the Savior as him and his father in the, in the heavenly atmosphere? They begin to embrace. As the father say, I love you. I love you. And the son responds back to him, I love you too. And maybe one by one he goes to each of the angels. There is no music in heaven. The antiphonal chorus of heaven has been hushed. The living creatures have stopped saying holy, holy. All of heaven is silent. Maybe he embraces each angel. And then in the next moment he's in the womb of a virgin. So much so that 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin for us. That's almost blasphemous to say. God became sin. For you. For me. Looming in the, the near future is a smelly trough. And a splintered cross. We might glory in the cross, but God doesn't. For the cross is not God's intentional will. But in his love and mercy, God birthed a circumstantial will. Because God had to work out his will within the context that sin in our choice created. The cross is not God's intentional will. It is in his circumstantial will. Grace is in God's circumstantial will, not his intentional will. Forgiveness is not in God's intentional will. It's in his circumstantial will. 
He birthed a circumstantial will that now has to aggregate every lie you and I told, every sin we have ever committed. The word of God says the wages of sin is death, and every time we sin, we ought to be ready to die. But hallelujah, the gift of God. Every sin, everything you and I have ever done, just take all the sins that we have committed just in this building and then multiply them by all of the people just in this city, the sins, and then this state, and over the whole world, those who have ever lived, he became sin for us. But it was not his intentional will. It was his circumstantial will that he had to work out sin within the circumstances that our choices have created. I do not believe, and you can quote me, I do not believe that God allows or permits sin, suffering, pain, or death. I believe that God allows and permits Choice, we permit and allow pain, suffering, sin, and death. We do that. And we see how sin and our choices play out in the natural realm. Just nature is travailing to, to be free and all of the things that happen because of the choice that we make and the sin that we do, people will come against you, lie on you, rumors. That all happens because of choice, not God's intentional will. God's circumstantial will. Mercy is applied. Mercy is not in God's intentional will. Grace is in God's circumstantial will. He uses grace and mercy and forgiveness in his circumstantial will to redeem us. But let me end here. Finally is God's ultimate will. I'll break it down real quick. It was God's intentional will that Adam and Eve would live in a loving, obedient relationship with him. But when they sinned through their choice, now God birthed a circumstantial will, which now God has to work out his will within the environment that sin and our choice created. But finally, is God's ultimate will to get us to the place that his intentional will had us before it was temporarily impeded by the circumstances. Boom, that went over somebody's head. Say it again. It was God's intentional will that Adam and Eve would live in a loving, obedient relationship. But when they sinned, God now brought forth a circumstantial will to deal with sin in our choice. But finally, is God's ultimate will to get us to the place that his intentional will had us before it was temporarily impeded by the circumstances. You better believe God has an ultimate will. And his ultimate will is to save you and me. His ultimate will. He says, I will. In no wise cast out 
God said, I will. He said, oh, my parents, my God. He says, those of you who contend with me, I will contend with thee. And I will save your children. I will. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have let you know. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. I can't be clearer than this. The will of God is only God's intentional will. Period. That's it. That's the only will that he says I want on earth. That is my will in heaven. Is God's intentional will. It was not his will that my mother died of Alzheimer's. It wasn't his will that some of you are still in pain from untimely deaths of loved ones. It was not his will for you to be raped and lied on and abused. His will is only his intentional will. And that released me from the incarceration of faulty thinking and theology. That God's will is only his intentional will. But in his love, he said, I'm going to step into the circumstances that sin and choice created. And he came down to this rat and roach-infested ghetto called Earth and fished his hand in the cesspool of life until he found me. And he said, I will never leave you, ever leave you, nor forsake you. He didn't do it, y'all. He didn't make you hurt like this. He didn't do it. It was the choice that he gives us as a free will. Yes, God. Yes, God. I have a friend who we do presentations in halfway houses and rehab centers. And we were doing a presentation and he asked the brothers a simple question. He said, yo, y'all, what is the purpose of a halfway house? 
Immediately, one brother piped up, oh, man, you know, man, see what I'm saying, man? You know, these cats got us locked down, man, like we in prison, you know what I'm saying, man? He said, thank you, went to the next brother. What is the purpose of a halfway house? He went all, every brother in there. And then he said, seeing that you don't know the purpose of a halfway house, I'm going to tell you. And this brother gave one of the most concise but profound answers. The Holy Spirit said, that's an appeal there. He said, I'm going to tell you the purpose of a halfway house. You see all these, these guards and counselors around here? They do their half, you do yours. Said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The Lord has done his half. When he said, I will. Now you do yours. What is your half? The Holy Spirit gave me a revelation. The highest level of spirituality that we will ever reach is willingness. That's it. The highest level of spirituality that you or I will ever reach is willingness. When he was in the garden and he said, not my will. Thine be done. He said, I will. That's the highest level. That we have to be willing. We have to have our spirits open to the will and word of God. I will. Your head's about. God of walls could talk of the silent sufferers of the anger and the bitterness that they thought you let happen. Oh God, your revelation that you gave me was that your wisdom and foreknowledge of what can or will happen because of sin is substituted for allowance and permission. Just because you know God don't mean you are complicit with it. And so we substitute allowance and permission not understanding your wisdom and foreknowledge of what will ever happen in the earth realm and we blame you vicariously but this morning God we're shaking chains we're breaking chains we're coming out of that life sentence of faulty thinking and theology and we are going to believe you God I thank you That every prayer has been answered. But the majority of our prayers have been suspended in the spirit realm. Waiting for our will to come into alignment with your will. So that you could release it into the natural realm. The majority of our prayers are on time release. (laughs) 
You've been hurt. You've been upset. You've been angry. You have not understood the will of God. You didn't know that his will was only his intentional will. You might be coming out of a storm. You might be in a storm, a situation. But you need prayer. You need that transitional prayer. Lord, I'm moving out of the chains of faulty thinking and theology. I don't know what your situation is. You need prayer. Won't you just come forward? Come forward. Come forward. Sometimes if we don't say a specific thing, some people don't move. So the appeal is, if you need to come, come. God, I want to be in your will. I want your full will manifested in my life. God, I misunderstood. I've been blaming you. But I'm coming for prayer. I'm coming for release. Coming for liberation now. So that you can open up the spirit realm and release your will for our lives that we could not receive because we were thinking the wrong way. Father, in the name of Yahshua Jesus, God, we come right now. First of all, saying, have mercy on us, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitudes of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions and my sins. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not, O God, away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I ask that the blood of Yahshua Jesus would do its work. I don't, God, I don't understand how you do this thing. That you can take blood that you shed 2,000 years ago and still cleanse us with it. For you said if we confess, you will, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and all means all, no matter what we've ever done, who we've ever done it to, with, or at. And you will justify us, and which means justified, never sin. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, thank you, Lord. That just for our decision now. We stand in your presence clean. There's somebody else. You need to come get in this prayer. You need to come. God just needs your permission. He just needs your permission to begin to release his full and established will for your life out of the spirit realm. So, God, we we thank you. Our eyes are on you now. We're not diverted away from faulty thinking theology. But our eyes are on you. And God, I am asking. Now, I'm demanding according to your word. In the name of El Elyon, the most high. 
that you would now begin to open the fount of heaven and release your predestined, predetermined will into those who responded. Open our eyes that we might see. And the majority of it doesn't come in dollar signs. It comes in renewed health. It comes in the dispelling of depression. God, it comes in the answers to prayer to see our children walk off a fool's hill and into Christ. For your glory, God, do this for your glory and for the increasing of our faith. Finally, there may be someone here who needs to give your whole life to the Lord. You've had the gift of inconsistency. You're making choices and decisions that is not in the will of God, but you're saying today, God, my whole life now, my whole life, nothing in reserved. If you're up front, just raise your hand. If you're in the congregation, just stand and come forward. My whole life, God, everything, God, everything, God, I want to be in your will. I want your full will to operate in my life. And according to your words, you'll do it. You're giving your whole life as if someone else saying, God, my whole life, my whole life. Father, as we close this prayer, we just want to thank you for Jesus. Who stepped into our circumstances, brought grace and mercy and forgiveness. God, some of us should be dead. You saved us. And all we're going to do now is just be willing. If you say it, we will say, I will. As you show us, we will say, I will. In response to you who said, I will. As you teach us, we will say, I will. God, we will not have a resistant spirit. And throughout eternity, we will praise you and thank you and praise you and thank you and praise you and thank you and bless your name and worship God. World without end. In your names before I say, amen. Where there is life, 